Hello, listeners. Around the eight-minute mark, my children decide to have a cage match up above me. And so I tried my best to edit stuff out, but there is a little bit of knocking around. Uh, So I just wanted to give you a, a heads up. Please enjoy the episode. Hello, friends. Welcome to another bonus episode of the Hex and Cube podcast, a podcast where we talk about tabletop games and the community that gathers around them. I am your host, Kyle Schubert, and I am in solo mode tonight because I am going to be sharing with you a little about my protospiel experience. So on the 25th of January, I set out for the illustrious Best Western in Bloomington, Minnesota, which, if you're familiar with the area, is like right by the Mall of America. Uh, For those that are not familiar with the area, it's roughly between the Black Hills and Lake Michigan. So hopefully that's helpful. Uh, The first thing I would like to mention was my lodging for the night. So I went up on Saturday and then came home on Sunday. Uh, So I only needed a place to crash for a single night. I didn't want to spend any money on a hotel, however, and so we looked around and I ended up staying with a not-so-distant, distant family member-ish. She has a spare room, and she works overnights, and so it just was perfect. The interesting variable, though, in this equation was a very emotionally needy cat named Milo. Uh, I love animals. Um, I appreciate their companionship. And so having a cat to hang out with me uh, while I slept was fine. I was excited about the idea. The problem was that this particular cat had some habits that I was not used to or ready for. After sleeping there for a single night, I totally understand why they tell parents not to let their cats sleep in the same room with their infant children. All night long... Little Milo was trying to sleep on my face. Just like, just right, right on it, over my mouth. After a while, uh, I put him out of the room and shut the door because I wasn't getting any sleep. So, put him out, got back into bed, and all of a sudden, I hear like this scratching noise. And I was like, oh my gosh, hopefully this dude gets the hint and chills out. Yeah, he, he didn't, he didn't, he did not. So eventually I let him back in and had this great idea of positioning myself on the edge of the bed so that my face was kind of like, you know, facing off the bed so that he couldn't lay directly, directly on it. Mission accomplished. He was not able to lay on my face anymore. Uh, So he eventually just kind of curled up behind me next to my back. And I was like, oh, this is, this is nice. This will, this will be good. Uh, Well, you know, like when cats do that like weird paw thing on the surface uh, of whatever it is that they're wanting to lay on, you know, almost like they're like fluffing a, a pillow or something. Yeah. So he started doing that into my back and By that point, I had lost all hope of getting any semblance of a good night's sleep. And so I just, 
you know, turn back over and uh, Milo just wrestled with my face all night. So it was it was great. But I was thankful that I saved money. Was it worth it? Still haven't decided. But anyways, back to the matter at hand. Protospiel, Minnesota. Uh, for those of you that are not familiar with Protospiel events, they are gatherings of designers, publishers, and just lay folk, if you will, uh, with a focus on playtesting, giving feedback, and really trying to dial in on, on game designs. Uh, it's kind of like a like an intensive game design retreat. So if you attend one of these events, you're, you're not going to be playing established, published games. You're going to be playing prototypes, uh, some of which are in very early stages. I believe that protospiels are primarily a Midwest thing, uh, but I know that there are events you know, similar to it all around the world. Uh, Unpub is, is a good example. Uh, this was my first prototyping event, and I really didn't have any uh, idea as to, to what to expect other than what I had heard from other people who had attended events like this and, and other people that had attended this event specifically. Uh, I heard that this protospiel was very casual, very laid back. Uh, there isn't like time slots or anything that, that you you know, can schedule your game in for testing. You you go, you simply grab an open space at a table, you set your game up, and try and coax passerbys to sit down and, and play for a bit. Uh, so when I arrived, I'm going to be honest, I felt a little bit awkward. Um, I didn't know where to start. I didn't know what to do. Um, but very soon, I was coaxed into sitting down for a game. Uh, I had heard that it is perfectly acceptable to tell a designer that you're ready to quit a game, meaning that you don't actually have to play through the whole game if you don't want to. Um, but I felt bad doing that, and so at least for the first game, uh, I ended up playing a game that I didn't really like for like an hour and a half. So, so listen, it is okay to tell the designer you are ready to be done. Uh, the game that I played had a lot of issues. Um, it didn't really appeal to my tastes, and I really should have stopped earlier than I did. Uh, eventually, I got the courage to say, yo, I've had enough. Let's just go right to the feedback portion of this little, this little thing. But, like, your time is so precious at these events there are a lot of designs to test, and you as a designer want to get tests in on your games. And so, seriously, do not be afraid to cut it off as early as you would like. Um, I didn't get nearly as much done as I wanted to in terms of testing games. You, like, blink and the weekend is over. So, yeah, you, you, gotta, you gotta tell them, hey, I'm done, and, and just go right to feedback, especially if you feel like you've played enough to to give some, some meaningful feedback. Uh, but yes, the atmosphere at Protospiel, Minnesota is super chill, super casual. Uh, for some, it is to a fault. Uh, I did hear a, a couple other people say that they would have actually appreciated a little more structure in the event. But I just don't think that's the, the vibe of this particular Protospiel. I, 
I'm not sure if like that's how all of the the proto spiels are run, uh, but this one is definitely relaxed. And you know, I I actually I dug it um, once I once I got into it and figured out kind of how things work. I kind of I kind of appreciated the the laid back vibe. Uh, it was very like you know no pressure uh, kind of an atmosphere. So so that was cool. One of the biggest wins for me over the weekend was the people that I met and the relationships that I started. This was the primary force driving me to want to go to this event. Obviously, I wanted some critical feedback for my designs uh, and wanted to, to kind of develop them a little bit, but way more than that, I just wanted to make meaningful connections with other designers and kind of, you know, further further establish myself in the gaming community. Uh, I think organic relationships are incubators for the creative process, and so I'm always looking for opportunities to meet people and network and just, you know, invest in genuine relationships. Um, games are great, but people are better. Uh, that's That's my thing. I'm sticking to it. So I was able to meet some truly amazing people. I'm just, I'm blown away by the diversity and the, the creativity that was represented there. It was, it was wonderful. Uh, Saturday night, I was able to tag along with a, a couple of dudes who were uh, just a total delight to hang out with and, and get to know a bit over the weekend. All the people who tested my games were, were fantastic as well and were really helpful and encouraging in the development of my designs. I was able to bring two of my designs, The Shimmering Planet, which is a a real-time pattern-building game, and then Mintrospection, an area-majority game that fits in a little mint tin, which was my submission to the, uh, the Game Crafter mint tin contest. So I was able to get a handful of plays for for both of them over the weekend, and I even was able to teach Mintrospection to one of the publishers that had a presence there. So that was super awesome. Uh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for their time, and um, yeah, that was it was awesome of of them to be willing to let me teach it to them. Overall, I had amazing responses to both of my games. Uh, it's it's. Super encouraging when other designers who I respect are, you know, showing your game some love. Uh, It, like, pushes me to keep going. I did get some really good suggestions, too, uh, on how to make the games even better. And so I'm currently working on implementing those suggestions and and testing them and uh, just seeing how viable they they actually are. Um, The coolest thing is when people are, like, asking to purchase your games. Uh, And I had that happen a a couple times over the weekend, so that was super gnarly. Definitely, it it was definitely very valuable uh, to the the progress of, of my designs. So, I was also able to play some really cool designs uh, from other designers. Um, I wanted to touch on a few that I thought were exceptionally interesting. Uh, I'm not going to be able to to 
talk about all of the designs that I played. And this is, you know, in no way like the ones that I'm talking about were necessarily better than the other designs that I played. Uh, these were just ones that really stuck out to me and, and to my tastes. And so uh, the first game is currently called Machinations by Brennan Aldridge, who is a super cool dude. He was able to, to play Mintrospection and, and gave me some good input on, on that as well. So thanks, Brennan. Uh, but he described this game to me as an area control game. And so going into it, I kind of had a preconceived notion as to how the game is going to play. And I was completely wrong. I don't, I don't think that area control probably should be the primary descriptor for this game. Uh, it really plays and feels more like a stock manipulation game. So, no one player controls any one faction. There are six factions, I believe, and you are basically manipulating these six factions in different ways, and as you do that, you are acquiring and ditching, essentially, stocks in these different factions. It is a game of shifting sand and subtleties. The, the board evolves much like an area control game with different colored cubes and cylinders and discs uh, spreading out all over the board and gaining majority in, in different regions. But in most of the other aspects of the game, it does not feel at all like a area control game. The action selection in the game is card-based. On the cards, you have a faction and a value and then some kind of special bonus effect um, if you meet the criteria for that, uh, for that bonus effect. Your goal is to have the highest values in the most powerful factions in your hand at the end of the game. So, like, on your turn, you play a card, either as the faction shown on the card, which then allows you to take one of, I believe, four actions as that faction, uh, which increases, you know, you can, you can increase the, the power and dominion of that specific faction. Uh, or you can play a card face down as an assassination, uh, which means you then trade that card that you place face down with any other card from another player that has already been played. So this is how you are going to be, like, you know, getting rid of, of lower value factions and and gaining higher value factions and, and that's kind of how it like shifts around a bunch um there's a couple other really interesting mechanisms that he had but but that's that's kind of the core of the game i i think that he's got a really cool interesting system here it's it's definitely very high player interaction you know it's it, it can feel a little cutthroat at some times which, you know, if, if you're into that, I, I think that this is going to be a game that you're, you're really going to love. There's, a, you know, there's a couple problem areas, uh, but it's a, it's a great start. Um, I'm excited to see how this game progresses. I really would like to try it again, um, going into it with a different mindset. You know, going into it, thinking of it more of like a, as more of like a, a stock manipulation game or, or something like that. 
I think that would have maybe changed my initial opinion of the of the game because I I wasn't like I wasn't too pumped on it right away because I, I think I was expecting something different but after playing it and seeing what it was really about and then hearing Brennan kind of talk about his vision for the game uh, it made a lot more sense and so you know I'd love I'd love to play it again um, with a, with a different mindset another design that I played that I was really impressed with was uh, Stargazers by Chris Williams. And I, I know that this is a, a working title for him. I, I think there's another game that has that same title, and so I think he's working on figuring out a different title. But um, Chris is a, a dude that I know from a local designer meetup. And again, just a, a super great guy. Um, but Stargazers is his entry for the Roll and Write contest that is being put on currently by the, the Game Crafter premise of the game is that you are like looking up at the night sky trying to chart these uh, various constellations on your personal player board you have a grid with pip values running along the top and the left of the grid and then there's a, a central pool of constellation cards that have a certain pattern that you must achieve to be able to claim the victory points that are on that card. So, on a turn, a player is going to roll four dice, and then each player simultaneously creates two pairs of those dice, so as to make two different star marks on their personal grid in the intersecting squares uh, of those two values. The game has, like, a super chill vibe to it, but it's also, like, really thinky. The, the spatial challenge of the game was really interesting to me. Uh, I thought it was actually quite a, a difficult game. Um, the, the constellations on the cards can be rotated um, however possible uh, when, when placed into your, you know, your grid on your player sheet. Um, but if any intersect, only one can be scored. So it's, it's totally a puzzle. It massages my, my brain muscles. But the rule set is super simple. Uh, I love it. I, I think it's really marketable. And I think it's going to do well in the contest. Uh, I would honestly be uh, surprised if it doesn't. And, and hopefully it does well afterwards as well. You know, I could see a, a Deepwater Games logo all over this, this game. So... Uh, good luck, Chris, and uh, yeah, I, I I think you got a great game there, so keep keep working on it, and I'm excited about it. The last game that I wanted to talk about uh, was my personal favorite for the weekend, and that was Luthier by Abe Burson. So Abe and his wife were were great. Luthier is a Medium weight euro, where you are crafting and selling stringed instruments of the more classical variety. So like cellos and lyres and things like that. In Luthier, everyone has a personal board to uh, keep their resources on and to uh, work on instruments by which you will be placing instrument cards onto your workbench, which, which has three card slots. And then you complete them in phases. So 
uh, you, you put it in the first slot and then you have to pay a certain number of resources to move it to the next slot and then you have to wait a turn. And so there's a time aspect as well as a resource aspect. And I think it's a really neat little system. In the general play space, there is an action pool, which is basically a, a line of action cards, most of which have two alternate actions represented on them. Above and below are the various things you can do or acquire. So uh, your workers are numbered discs, one through five, I believe, and you start with three of them, I think. Uh, but you can unlock the other two later on in the game. Uh, the one is the most powerful, as it is the highest priority worker, and then, you know, so on down the line. Uh, so in turn order, you are placing one of your discs at a time until everyone has placed all of their available discs. And then in turn order, each player chooses an action to resolve, thereby flipping over all of the discs that are on that action. And the highest priority worker gets to choose one of the two actions to take first. And then the second highest priority disc gets to take the alternate action. So on one action card, uh, nobody can take the same action as somebody else. And the third or fourth disc there uh, gets nothing. It's brutal. The decision space in this game is lovely, I think. Uh, it's also excruciating, um, and I, I really think he has something special here. I think there are a couple systems in the game that could actually be expanded on to create uh, multiple strategies, because, like, right now, there's more or less one strategy for getting points. So with, with the expansion of these other areas, I think that it would add a little variety to that and, and kind of cause some of the, the strategies to, to diverge, which I personally would like. But, you know, maybe other people like the singular direction and, and everyone just kind of fighting over that one, one direction. I also thought that adding another endgame trigger uh, would be helpful with the game length. Uh, it was, it was, I felt like it was a little long for, for what we were doing. So, so adding in, a, you know, one or two other alternate endgame triggers would, would probably speed things up quite a lot. I think if he keeps hammering away, uh, this is going to be a game that I will want in my collection. Theme is really cool. The mechanisms are interesting. I think Abe is definitely on the right track. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not only excited to see where this game goes, but, you know, I'm excited to see what what he comes up with next after playing this design, I was like, dude, this guy's going to come out with some cool stuff. So, uh, yeah, pumped about Luthier. Excited to see how it evolves and how it changes. And I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be loved by a lot of people. So, you know, I, I played some other designs that were, that were really good as well. Some, some lighter games. And I just brought up these three because, uh, they're a little bit more, you know, in my preference, and yeah, I thought they were great, so I wanted to wanted to share them with y'all. All in all, I had a wonderful time. It was totally worth my time and money to go. I am thankful for the feedback that I got on my designs, and I am very thankful for the friends that I made while I was there. 
I would definitely recommend this event to, to any designer that is looking to develop their game in a meaningful way and to, to make some connections. You know, if, if, you're an, if you're an independent designer, if you're new to designing, uh, even if you're not, even if you're well-established, I, I just think that these events are so valuable. I'm already looking forward to next year. Honestly, I would love to host a prototyping event even closer to me. So, you know, maybe that's something that I can work on implementing in the next year or so. Do it kind of in conjunction with some of the other events that, that we're doing. But yeah, super good stuff. Uh, pumped about, about the weekend and about all the things that happen. Thank you very much for joining me on this very special bonus episode. A new regular episode is on its way, so stay tuned for that. Uh, make sure you drop by hexandcube.com and join in on the conversation there. Also, I'd love to connect with you on the social medias. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Got them all. Kyle Schubert on Facebook. You can just search for me. Kyle underscore hex and cube on both Twitter and Instagram. Hit me up. Until next time. Don't lose your radishes in the car. 